you for joining for this episode of the Techspective podcast. My guest is Chris Gates. So, Chris, if you want to introduce yourself and get a little bit of background. Sure. Thank you, Tony. My name is Christopher Gates. I'm a medical device developer. I have been creating medical devices, mostly class three medical devices, for the past 51 years. Clearly, there's something wrong with me. Uh, and the uh, last 17 years of which has pretty much been dedicated to medical device cybersecurity and embedded cybersecurity. And I came by that because I've always been a hacker. I started hacking things when I was in college. Well, truth be told, it actually started as an elementary school where they would have, you know, ball monitors and hallway monitors and bike monitors. So I always volunteered for the bike rack. Why? There's locks there. So I'd sit out there and I'd pick locks and open up warded locks and all that kind of good stuff. But uh, it's I, then, you know, all through school and everything, I hacked into everything. And then finally, uh, I was doing some contracting for a large medical device manufacturer for their proprietary RF interface. And they were very publicly hacked. And so I started helping them with how to respond to this. And this led me into where I am today, where I am one of the foremost people on medical device cybersecurity. I co-wrote the first book on medical device cybersecurity out of Artec Publishing. We're now second edition. It sold so well. Won two Book of the Year, Cybersecurity Book of the Year awards, was technical book bestseller for months on Amazon. So uh, so we're, we've done quite well with it. And um, I've also stood up a training program here at Valentium to train engineers in the medical device industry how to do cybersecurity, what the regulation is, how the techniques are, how to respond to it, how to actually do it. Everything from policies down to the details of what you're going to need to know to how to write code. So I am trying to drag my industry into a safe and secure posture. And uh, it's it's a fun ride, let me tell you. Well, and, and I guess I would say, you know, to some extent, code is code, and, and you know, and so you know, we've we've been, you know, in, in the cybersecurity world has, you know, is built on you know trying to defend against uh, you know find the vulnerabilities and defend against the threat actors and, and all of that, but there are certain areas, and I would say medical devices would be one of them. Uh, vehicle AI would be one of them, where it's like you start getting into things where it could be potentially significantly more dangerous. Like, you know, if, if someone hacks my computer and steals my data, you know, that's unfortunate. Mm -hmm. um, if someone hacks, you know, an insulin pump or 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 a pacemaker or something, that because that, that's potentially deadly. That's a lot worse than just having your data taken. Absolutely. And anything that's operational technology, OT, means it has a real-world consequence to it. It's not a virtualized, they stole my identity, they stole my money, they you know, just it, it, it prevented me from doing my business. It has real-world consequences to it, and pretty, pretty severe ones. In the case of both automotive and medical, that means people are harmed, people die. Uh, and if you start looking at these, they can be very widespread. Usually what we're talking about, maybe ransomware is more widespread and hitting a large area. But if we're talking about this, there's you know hundreds of thousands of people walking around in this country with medical devices that at the very least are improving the quality of their life, if not sustaining them. And so you take that out of the picture or you abuse those and real quickly, there's going to be a lot of suffering. 
Well, so I, before we got on, I, I, I went and looked uh, on on LinkedIn to, to take a look at your background. So I see you, you, were, you were part of the Illuminati for 20 years. <laughs> uh, Illuminati engineering. That was my uh, previous incarnation. Yes, that was uh, we did a medical device development consulting for medical device companies. And uh, that was what the company I was with before I joined Valentium here about seven years ago. They brought me in to stand up a, a cybersecurity team inside of the organization for not only our own internal work that we do for clients, but also for our clients. So if we need to assist our clients. And at Valentium, we do everything we can to realize a client's new design into a finished product, even taking it into production. So we we do everything, mobile app development, firmware, hardware, software, cybersecurity, uh, production testers, you name it, we do it all. And so even writing IFUs and systems engineering. So we are, we are a one-stop shop. And depending upon what our client needs, that might be one or two things, or it might be everything. And so we drop in like puzzle pieces and help you out. So they needed somebody for cybersecurity. We're extremely difficult to get. IT cybersecurity people are in demand. Embedded cybersecurity people aren't available. <laughs> we just aren't available, okay? And how I did it and how I built a team was I took talented hardware and software and systems engineers and trained them. So I built my own and the training that we're now selling is an outgrowth of that. Uh, I mean, initially it was all in person and everything I was doing. And we had, you know, exercises and laptops all open that were all already compromised and how we, we did everything. You know, normal, normal infrastructure laptops don't include tools of the trade. (laughs) Metasploits frowned on. Okay. And uh, so uh, we had special machines and all that now with the virtual training we can't do that obviously so we're showing how these tools are worked with how they're used and going forward so that is how i figure we're going to get out of this is we have to train our way out of it and that's that that's my approach to it so that's that's how i came about being here okay well so let, let's let's segue slightly uh into uh, talking about valentium a little bit so i you know, i went out and i I was not familiar with the the company beforehand, and I went out and looked at the website. And so, am I understanding from the website that basically someone would come to you with the idea of a thing? You know, say, mm-hmm. well, I, I I I have this idea for an embedded medical device or whatever, and then, you know, like you said, you guys are kind of a one stop shop to help take it from idea to an actual thing. Absolutely, we we work with everybody from two person startups. Who come to us with an idea to the largest medical device uh, largest medical device manufacturers in the world who come and say we don't have the resources right now to do this you have the experience to it to, to do this kind of stuff and they'll come and say we have this design or this intellectual property or whatever and they'll come over to us with it or we've done studies and we've come out of a university doing these studies and we want you to do it so it, every engagement's different it's it's wildly different uh, both in the pace of the projects and the funding and how you do. I mean, we've had ones where I've had clients come to us and then go, okay, we have to wait a year before we can re-engage. And it's like a year later, they come back and it's like, what did you make? <laughs> what was this product? <laughs> uh, so 
and yet others are, we can't get it out fast enough for them. So it just really varies across the board with our clients and the engagement. But that's our goal in identifying them and working with them and making that all so they, at the end of the day, wind up with a device that can be manufactured, that is profitable, that is secure, uh, you know, and has growth potential. One of the cool things I've seen here lately in the last year is I'm getting a lot of repeat customers coming back who are either at the same company or have migrated to a new company and they're working on a new project. And literally coming back going, okay, we haven't even made a prototype of this thing yet. Talk about early concept phase. You know, we haven't even done anything yet, but we want to start discussing with you the topology of it, our phases of what we look like, where, we're, where we want to be in five to seven years, and, and how to structure that topology so securely it will grow from day one all the way through to our final envisionment of this product. That is growth. I see that. Likewise, I'm seeing more companies come to me now. And for some reason, they're the Fortune uh, 100s and 500s that are coming to me with this. But they're asking for governance. And they want us to define roles and responsibilities, policies and procedures for them uh, and set this all up and integrate it into their quality management system and also align with uh, both domestic and international standards so that it all aligns and works with them. So that that's really cool. More than fighting the fires of today, which was five years ago, 99% of the business, which is, oh, gee, I've just submitted this. I've had this problem. I'm being attacked. You know, whatever it was, it was an immediate firefight for a given device type. Now it's more about how do I do this the correct way? How do I get my infrastructure aligned? How do I, and I view that as maturity. I, I, I don't know how else you can view that. So that's a good thing. Um, yeah, well, you know, and, and, yeah, you, you you mentioned you know that you know OT is the is the the kind of dividing line where you go from you know virtual and and digital to an actual it can it has a physical outcome, um, and and you know there are the Dragoses and Clarities uh, of the world that kind of focus on more of the manufacturing OT end mm -hmm. of things, mm -hmm. um, and 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 there are, are obvious consequences to those those kind of uh, attacks as well and i think i mean i think that not to say that it's uh gone away or 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 that we're, we're done with it but, but you, the 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 standard cyber attacks even up to ransomware um is is you know we, we all kind of we we know about that that's that's somewhat normal it seems like the the the, the cutting edge of at least in terms of awareness is on this is, is more on the OT side of people, you know. Again, thanks to companies like yours or Dragos or whatever, coming you know, and 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 raising awareness about, hey, you know, this this can actually, you know, these, these attacks can actually happen. I mean, and you know, from a, from a medical device perspective, what year, what year was it? Was it 2015 that they did the insulin pump hack at DEFCON? Oh yeah. Um Yes, uh, and actually, I can't talk too much about that. Still under NDA <laughs> on that one. Uh, and uh, yeah, I was involved with that. Uh, but let's the way to look at this is these products that in that case were being hacked were old. That was a 17-year-old product when they hacked it. Right? Nobody back then was thinking cybersecurity. Right. Certainly, certainly the silicon, the processors they were using didn't have any features that could assist them with that. And so there's 
you run into these things. And it's like, so whenever you see something that's really old and it's been hacked, whether it's done by a security researcher or by an attacker in an HDO, a health delivery organization, you have to kind of look at the device and go, oh, it's a you know 30-year-old whole mountain fusion pump. Yeah, okay. You know, what else, what else do we have this 30-year-old that we keep around? You know? Well, are there are there are there current standards and regulations that 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 define how to do that now, though? Because you know, like like if I look at like IoT, like you know, like a lot of IoT devices, it's all about you know, I'm trying to make something, uh, I'm making something that's small, I'm mass producing it. Security is the last thing I thought of. I'm just trying to make it small and cheap. Um, Absolutely. And and then you have billions of these things out there, and then later on, someone goes. Oh, hey, look, we can hack this. Maybe we should secure it. It's like, well, it's too late. There isn't even a way, there, there isn't even an interface to update this thing. Mm -hmm. So the answer is two part. One, yes. Starting in 2014, the FDA limped in with what was called a pre market cybersecurity guidance that basically said your medical devices should be secure and then gave no concrete ways to achieve that or not didn't even set expectations of what the FDA was looking for. In that regard, they did a disservice to the industry. Kudos to them for being the first government agency to even do this for medical devices or for any OT structure. I mean, they were way ahead of the curve, 10 years ahead of it. So then in 2016, they released a post-market that says once you are manufacturing this, for however long it's in the marketplace and you're still selling it, how long, what are what are your responsibilities for cybersecurity there? And it outlaid it there. And since then, this has only gotten stronger right up to last year, the April 2022 guidance, pre-market guidance, that lays out a tremendous raft of obligations, both during development and after market support that you have to do and ongoing testing. And so it is an extremely highly regulated industry it, they have now officially, as of March 29th of this year, gotten mandate by law, part of the Food and Drug Cosmetic Act, that medical device manufacturers have to make secure devices. So if we bring a new one or if we touch an existing one and modify it, then that has to be brought up to current cybersecurity standards. But, and here's the big but, these devices have long, long lives and they're out in the marketplace 10, 20, 30 years. I saw a product the other day that I created 27 years ago. And I'm like, what, why is this still in the marketplace? Why? Yeah. How, how do you still get components for this? I mean, that's, that's you know, and, and these are the kind of things that you don't want to see happen. All right? Yet that's how it's used. The health delivery organizations, your hospitals and clinics are always, you know, claiming that there's no money. Well, Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. It's amazing when ransomware hits them, they always seem to find coins in the cushions somewhere to pay that off. But there's never any for prevention up front. Kind of interesting how that works. Um, so, yeah. so, yeah, it, it's it's going to be a problem. Where things like automotive, they're coming on strong. And they don't keep cars around for the most part for 30 years. If they are, they're classics. And, you know, somebody's buffing them with a diaper somewhere. Uh, it's it's not the mainstay practice. So they have an advantage in that they're gonna get rid of that legacy tail where we have this huge legacy tail and nobody gets to tell the, the hospitals, don't hang on to this old stuff. You need to upgrade to the new stuff that is secure. And so so it's, it's happening today, 
but it's going to be around with us for a while. Yeah. Well, okay. So you 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 talked about you know the FDA you know at least issuing some kind of guideline, yeah. um, which I, I I would I would guess in theory helps organizations focus on building things in sooner. Because like when I was when I was in this on, when I was on the other side of the fence working in the cybersecurity trenches and I was at EDS uh, as a security architect or whatever, um, you know one of my jobs was to be a you know like to do like the security QA on software before it was released but this is back in the days of doing you know waterfall development where they you know gathered requirements and and and, and it took 3 to 6 months of development and then at the very end they would say hey tony can you review this and tell us if it's secure and you know yeah. i mean no. I, and i'm, I'm oh, preaching to the choir to like, I, like people know this but it's like at that point what am i supposed to say you know like yeah. I, I i come back come back and go well no it's not you need to go start over you know right, right. and and actually that is a lovely example pen testing what do you do you've gone through you've done you know 18 months 24 months of development you're at the end of this thing and they come to you for penetration testing on this thing and you take it away for two months and you come back with a 100 page pdf that details all the design vulnerabilities and implementation vulnerabilities and vulnerabilities and third-party software components that you have, what are they going to do with that? They're already counting on the revenue, you know, uh, when they're going to release it and how they're going to, you know, it's going right. to come back and go, well, it's going to take another year and another, you know, $5 million to fix this. And, and that's being on the rosy side. Um, yeah, it's it's actually really difficult for them to do that. And so, yeah, um, I, I what we do is we do what's called micro penetration testing, where the the penetration tests take place right in time wise proximal to implementation. So you finish that Wi-Fi interface, we're pen testing and fuzzing it. Okay, the whole device hasn't been done. Maybe nothing else with the device has been done, but we're targeting that already. All right, and so we do a series of smaller micro pen tests as opposed to one major one at the end. And that feeds back where the crew is still there and whatever the team was, the developer, developers are still there, they're still on the project, it's still uppermost in their mind and they can fix it. A lot of times you get a project and well, it's contract folks, contract folks that have uh, left the building. I mean, they're no longer involved with it. And it's like, who's gonna fix these things? So. A lot of problems with workflow. The FDA is focusing on that in the latest guidance. Uh, they're no longer leaving it up to manufacturers to roll their own strange development uh, process. They're now saying, no, you need to follow an existing standard for that, which is a great move. I I'm totally behind it. And this latest guidance in April, oh, they really did a good job. I'm really happy with it. Um, some cleanup work needs to be done, some references in it, but it's supposed to be finalized this year. And that's something a lot of manufacturers don't realize. Right now, well, first off, we're already in this period of review. Come October 1st, it's going to get even stronger because it's being automated through the electronic submission process. And they're just before your submission even gets to a reviewer inside the FDA, it's going to be kicked out. And then in September, they're supposed to release the finalized version of this document for the pre-market guidance, which is going to mean this is the new standard you have to work to. And now the Congress has mandated them to, on an annual basis, work with CISA to update that and keep it current. So in other words, continual improvement of this every year. 
manufacturers aren't ready for this. They have no idea. They, they don't even know this stuff is going on. They, they like to stick their head in the sand as much as possible. I get a lot of them coming to me now going, well, they kicked it back because I didn't do, I mean, all the things they told you to put in there, you didn't put in there and they kicked it back. Well, is this surprising to you? Yeah. Well, yeah, so kind of taking a half a step back, you know, you talked about uh, you know, the, the longevity of some of these things. And, um, you know, I, I've written about and said often, you know, there's no such thing as perfect code. When you, you know, you write something that's millions of lines long, there's bound to be some flaw in there somewhere. And so, like, you know, you, you, you don't want to, like, it's, it's unfair to, to expect a vendor to put, produce something that's completely flawless. You just want to try to, like, hopefully mitigate the, the criticality of the flaws. Uh, and <laughs> Okay. And, well, so and, and, there, and there's a wide say, gulf here. There's a wide gulf. Completely flawless. And I received a packet and it jammed up the complete operation of my device and stopped operating and no alarms. Right. Okay. There, there's a bit of range in there. Correct. But it, the other the other element of it is, you know, you might do a check today, you run you run it through all of your, you know, code checkers, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe it's fine. But over time, new new techniques and exploits are developed. So something that's not vulnerable today could be vulnerable three months from now. And if I'm talking about computer software, that's relatively, you know, I, they can put out a, a patch, I can apply the patch, I just update it. When we're talking about embedded medical devices, I'm assuming that the uh, upgrade process is a tad more difficult. It is if it's 30 years old. If it's made today, no, you're you're baking it in to how you're doing it. Is there a good standardized approach to it? No, not yet. I wish there was. Um, I've even promoted such ideas internally here to Valentian to standing up in standardized ways of doing it and getting industry consensus. But uh, it's something we don't do today. And all of these devices now that are kicked out are upgradable. The, the, one, the one time they aren't is when they're extremely short-lived devices. If you use them once for five minutes, if you use them for a day, something like that, because the churn is going to take them out anyway. So uh, 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 and there's, there's quite a few medical devices that are disposable that you use and you'll monitor if you briefly and then you peel them off and throw them in the trash can. So there, they're fast enough turnover that you don't need a field update. You can argue it. But the rest of them, yeah, you, we now have capabilities to update them in the field. What does that look like? Well, it varies a lot. We have devices that are continuous glucose monitors that diabetics use, for instance. There is no user interface. There's no push button. There's no LCD on it. There's nothing. How do you update those? When do you know how to do it? Those aren't as risky as, say, a ventilator. You've got a ventilator breathing for somebody. You don't want to say, hang on a second, take that last breath. I'll be back to you in 10 minutes. It's just just need okay. to hold your hold your breath for 90 seconds while we reboot. Not 10 minutes. 10 <laughs> minutes is going to be fine. We'll be right back to you. Uh, and uh, we're going to reboot and update everything. And then, right. So how this is done varies tremendously over the style of device and the risk of the device. But generally speaking, if it's something like a ventilator, as they need to be updated, they're sequestered in the hospital. The staff at the hospital then runs that update. Maybe they work on an open network out. Maybe there's some other delivery mechanism. It's not over the internet. There are lots of different ways to do this and skin this cat, but that's just one of them. But they make certain they're in a safe position. The more advanced ones like Mayo and, and great hospitals like that, 
they'll go through and do pin testing on that once they get it in qualification testing before it ever goes back into operation. And like, that's really great. Unfortunately, you also have those institutions, the, the, the hospital in Ohio, where the same guy who sets up their IT network also mows their lawn. That's not a joke, it's true, okay? Guess what they're not doing? They're not updating anything. Nothing in the infrastructure is updated. Medical devices, printers, PCs, nothing. Uh, so what do you do about those? Well, as a manufacturer, you can't reach out to that ventilator and go, I'm gonna update you now. I just am. I've, I've asked you for a week and you haven't said yes. No, because you don't know what the use is. Um, but like I said, so some of them you can force out. Some of them you do have to get permission for. And sometimes that results in quite a few vulnerable machines being left behind. Um, when I think of, and, and, and I, I know I keep coming back to the, 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 the pacemakers and the insulin pumps, et cetera, but when I think of those type, the, the, the types of attacks that I've seen demonstrated, um, they tend to be you know, more targeted one-off things. Like I would know that Chris Gates has this insulin pump. It's almost more of a James Bond, you know, CIA, you know, kind of thing where it's like, it's a, it's a very targeted uh, assassination attempt and not like a broad thing. Sure. To your knowledge, what, it, yeah, is, is there a risk of, you know, for some of these devices of, I can just, you know, maybe even from a software supply chain kind of perspective, put, put a flaw in that goes for all of them. You mean like one of those? Yes. Yeah. And the answer is yes. Yes. Um, Ten years ago, we were making medical equipment that basically didn't use any authentication at all. So some of these things are wireless. Some of these things are unidirectional wireless. So I could reach out, climb up into a tall mountain, tall building and reach out, you know, go to Manhattan, go to the tallest building with a, a linear amplifier on it and reach out and say, all of your devices out there now self-destruct or now deliver a lethal dose or now stop working completely very much very much um i can't go obviously for reasons obviously of nda i can't go into specifics of that those fortunately are you know slowly going away out of the market uh, more and more there's less and less of those we're certainly not introducing new ones which helps a great deal uh, but those kind of mistakes at the time were considered mistakes. I mean, I think back 40 years ago, I didn't think about this. And, and I hear I was a hacker. I mean, I was protecting my own intellectual property in a device, or if I had a consumable aspect to a medical device, I made certain nobody could clone it or re-enable it. And I did stuff like that, you know, decades ago before anybody right. was thinking of this. But uh, yeah, you didn't think in terms of, oh, gee, I wanna kill, you know, all diabetics within range, for instance. I feel no. like, that 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 same sort of evolution of thought has occurred at like every stage of technology pretty much like it's you know mm. we, we someone has an idea they develop the idea they're just thinking about okay what are the cool thing like i i thought of an idea for this cool thing and mm -hmm. so i just want to make the cool thing and Absolutely. it's not until it's not until after the fact that someone says okay but you know if i just play around a little bit with your cool thing i can you know create havoc and then someone goes oh Okay, maybe maybe we should go back and, and secure that. So I'm, I mentioned my career path, and when I was at this large medical device manufacturer, and I've stayed there for years, way past doing what I was initially supposed to do, helping them with security. 
and figuring out ways to socialize this and change the culture in a development environment for these engineers. And I literally remember breaking down in tears the first time I heard this, where I was in a review meeting for a device, and we're not gonna talk about what kind of device it was, and they talked about adding some features, and one of the staff engineers said, yeah, but what kind of vulnerabilities is that gonna open? Yes, yes, that's it. That's the culture I'm looking for. Yes, I don't have to say this. That's what they're thinking about. And that's the correct way to look at this. That doesn't mean you don't do the feature. It means you may have to put more mitigating controls in there to protect it, right? Or maybe it does mean you don't do the feature, but you have to think that way. And that's not the way an engineer thinks. Engineers take hundreds if not thousands of requirements, put them all together into a package and make that product, right? That is extremely challenging. A, an attacker doesn't. We think deconstructively. And so we sit there and think, I just need to find that one path in. If that's not it, I'll back out and find another path in. And I'll keep probing till I find what I want to achieve. And that's, that's a whole different approach, whole different mindset. Even myself, being an engineer and a hacker, I can't keep both of those in my head at the same time. I literally do a schizophrenic thing of, okay, I'm going to implement this and Oh crap, how am I going to authenticate it? How am I going to authorize it? Oh, what am I exposing here is this? Wait a minute, they could inject over the air, you know, how am I maintaining integrity? All those kind of things you have to think of, you have to change change, change hats as you're working. It's very much something you can't do concurrently in, in one brain. At least nobody I found, and I've been doing it for a long time, and I can't do it. So <laughs> it'd be nice if somebody could. But it is a different way of looking at things completely. Well, and not only, you know, and and I I I don't wear those hats, so I can I mean I only have some frame of reference for that. But I was going to say, not only is it a different thing, but there's the sort of psychological phenomenon of when I write something and I go edit it myself as I review it, I don't catch the flaws because my brain just sees what I meant to say. Yeah, you know, so you need that second set of eyeballs to look and go, no, this is wrong. And I feel like that same sort of thing happens on a coding level where it's like. Yep. Even 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 when you switch hats and you say, okay, well now let me look at this from a hacker's mindset, you're still limited to your perspective of that. Whereas yep. someone else might come along with a completely unique way of attacking your device that you didn't consider. Yeah, uh, the old term for that is bench blindness. How many times have you set a tool down, you know, a pair of pliers on a bench, and you're looking around, where's my pliers? And it's right there in front of you, right? Because you know they aren't there, so you don't see them. Uh, that bench blindness exists. That's one of the reasons, not just for cybersecurity, but for all testing done in medical devices, we do what's called verification and validation. And originally it was called independent verification and validation. Now that just means the guy who wrote the code doesn't do it. It doesn't necessarily mean an outside third party. It can be that, but it is just somebody. So it may be the guy sitting across the hall from you, wherever you work, he's gonna be doing the testing associated with this because he's not approaching it with your preconceived bias of nobody right. can do that. And there's a lot of that. There's a lot right. of it. Well, and I, and I feel like even kind of, again, going back to like the, the early days of, of computers and early days of internet, where the creators, the developers were like, oh, look, I'm, I'm, I'm making this cool thing. You can do all these fun things with a computer and it's, mm -hmm. it's got so much power and, and, mm -hmm. and utility. And then you give the application to a user you know, where you're like, hey, fill in this form with your, your name. And someone just starts putting in gibberish <laughs> and then you go, oh, okay, I should have defined that field so that it could only be a name. You know, it's things that you don't you don't think about it when you're creating it because you're like, okay, I'm just asking you for your name. Why would you put in something that's not your name? 
See, that, and now you're talking my, my language because I go back to the DARPA network. Way before there was an internet, it was Bolt, Burnack, and Newman's uh, military network that went between universities and, well, launch silos and defense contractors. And I routinely went out and broke into everything. What was I using? An acoustically coupled cat modem to an old teletype KSR 33, sitting there pounding away paper tape, you know. And yet you could hack into these things. This was not sophisticated technology. And there was little to no authentication going on. So you could walk into any of these and go perusing around and look at all this stuff. It was very easy to do back in the day. Um, people just didn't think about it. They thought instead of yeah. look how this enables it. Now, now let and we've gotten better, but let's talk about what medical devices can bring. And since we're beating up on uh, diabetes, Closed loop is a lovely example. Uh, diabetics have always had an insulin and pump that delivers insulin into them. And they're either looking at finger sticks and taking out what's called a blood glucose meter, BGM, or they have a continuous glucose meter that tells them their interstitial blood glucose. And they're using that to tell it, how much of a flow do I need of insulin? Or do I need a big bolus of insulin coming in all at once? And they're looking at it like you're going to sit down and eat a big dinner. You're going to hit yourself with a bolus of, of insulin. Well, what does that mean? It means the human being is part of the control algorithm. They're in the loop. Okay? They, if, if he doesn't or he or she doesn't enter in those commands, guess what? The insulin pump doesn't do anything. And you have no benefit from it. Right. Now, now, over the last few years, what's been introduced is continuous glucose monitoring in a closed loop environment. So a sensor reads your glucose level and tells the insulin pump what it should be delivering. And it delivers it. There were diabetics who I've talked to who were terrified to sleep because when they go to sleep, the control algorithm stops. And with things like closed loop now, they wake up with better blood glucose levels than what they went to sleep with. They are much better. And now you see all these different companies, Medtronic, Tandem, Dexcom, all these different manufacturers getting in on this. Why? The quality of life is unbelievable. It's a game changer for these people. They're going to live longer, have less side effects from it, and all this. So all of this complication of digitizing and all the communications has benefits, really good benefits. I mean, it's just amazing, the difference. I mean, people just love these things because of it, and rightly so. I don't blame them. So there's, there's the upside to it. But then when you do this thing, make certain you're talking to the right one. Make certain all the integrity checks are there, the authentication, the authorization, all of this stuff. It's not rocket science. It, it really isn't. I, you have to do this. Don't trust and go, oh, that's Bluetooth low energy. Nobody can hack that. Oh, please. Okay. Um, and, and that is the assumption that's frequently made. Oh, that's once I compile my code, nobody can read it. I can't tell you how often I hear that. Um, those are the things that are scary because there's no education for these engineers and they don't realize just how easy it is to do. One of the things I do in training is I teach them how to hack and I show them stuff like, okay, here's a managed code base, C-sharp, and here's the here's the executable, okay, that you've got coming out of C-sharp. Here's .peak, load it up in there. And always their eyes get huge, okay, because it's like, well, that's, I can see all the <laughs> variable names and the class names, yeah, the comments are gone, that's it. Uh, and it's stuff like that. And then they begin to realize, wait a minute, 
I'm susceptible to that. Or I do side channel attacks with power monitoring or glitching. And literally in the past when I've used you know, in person and have real hardware there, they go, but our latest project, that's on that microcontroller. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Right. laughs> yeah. Realization time. Yeah. It's and so they're not trained to think evilly. Well, and 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 the threat actors uh, very much are <laughs> because you know it it's no it's not a it's not an accident that healthcare facilities are so highly targeted for ransomware. It's it's very much a we know yep. they have to pay because what is what is the option? Yep, exactly. Exactly. It's funny. I was talk, mentioned evilly here. You know, they, you've got to be this. When I look for people to do this, not only am I looking for technical skills and some technical discipline like software or hardware or systems, but I'm also looking for someone who's a little bent emotionally. <laughs> and we actually, uh, he's no longer with Valentium, but we used to have this guy, great guy. I won't use his name, but he was, he reminded me of me when I was in my 20s and really good software engineer, really conscientious, loved it very moralistic in his viewpoint about how to approach medical. And he wanted to learn cybersecurity. And I had to tell him, I went to him, I says, I can't. I go, why? I says, you're too nice. What do you mean I'm too nice? It just won't take with you. Okay, I've learned. You're not going to be able to look at this. You're always going to think people are going to do the right thing. When you do this, you have to think people are going to do the wrong thing intentionally. It's not accidental. It's not rust. It's it's malicious intent. Eh? And so he got mad at me, actually, and he stayed mad at me for a couple of months. And then one day he came and told me, he says, hey, my friends and I were out at an escape room. He says, and we're in an escape room and we're trying to get out and nobody, everybody's trying things, nobody's doing it. Finally, this one guy runs over and there's this moose there and he rips the antlers off the moose. And as he does, the door opens in the escape room. And he went, Chris was right. He said, I would never have thought to rip the antlers off the moose. I said, that's exactly right. You're too nice. You really have to be kind of a mean SOB to do this. Not act on it, not carry it out, but at least understand it and have a bit of that right. philosophy. You at least have to have the thought in your head of, okay, what could I do? Right, right. People are not nice. We are mean monkeys. You have to think that way when you're doing cybersecurity mitigations and 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 that's and not everybody can do I, and i'm glad i didn't want to turn him into a mean sov i didn't okay he was a nice person we need nice people uh, but that doesn't mean he's good at was going to be good at doing cybersecurity. okay um well as we you know uh, sort of uh winding down i mean we're not done necessarily yet but uh i wanted to kind of switch to talking about um I guess a little bit more like what's what's on the immediate radar. I mean, I know you can't talk about specific projects, but just kind of like what's what's the future look like from a uh, from Valentium's perspective on on medical. Like I, I have a like on the one hand, I think of things like uh, you know Neuralink, and I'm like, all right, well that 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 just sounds that that like. Setting, what could go setting wrong? aside setting aside the sci-fi implications of it, the fact that it's attached to Elon would, is like, yeah, I'm not letting you put a chip in my brain. What's wrong with you? Smart, smart, <laughs> right? Which which one of the uh, billionaires would you let do that? That would be none. Okay. Yeah, that would be that would probably be none. But the yeah. thing is, the thing is, from a purely, if I step back and I think of it like purely altruistically, pragmatically, I'm like, I can see how it would benefit, how there could be benefits, how it could work, mm. if if 
you had someone that you trusted to do it. My my issue is more like, okay, but once you have the chip in your brain, then does it come down to who who's got who's got their finger on the trigger? Yep. <laughs> what they want you to perceive. They could adjust your perceptions. They could make you angry. They could. What can they do to you? Yeah. No. There's. You know, just go read science fiction on how this turns out. It doesn't turn out well. Uh, are there upsides to this? Sure. Everything's a double-edged sword. But do you go to the people who traditionally have been the worst actors out there with safeguarding or privacy and, and what we find important and say, oh, these are the people who are going to be beneficial for us? Nope. Right. Uh, they're let's, not. let's let them access our thoughts directly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Would you want Elon Musk monitoring your emails? I mean, forget about a chip in your head. No. Uh-huh. So, yeah, that's the thing that's going on. So as for projects that are going on with me, obviously, there's lots of stuff. I work with the Health Sector Coordinating Council. That's a public-private partnership with Department of Homeland Security. Great organization run by Greg Garcia. Just fantastic. They're looking ahead five years for medical and what's needed both for the healthcare organizations as well as the manufacturers. And we write guidance papers with industry, bringing both the hospitals and the manufacturers together to write these papers and say, this today is the best of how we know to do things. Some of that stuff, a lot of that stuff winds up being regulatory standards around the world. Great, they, they steal from it, that's what it's supposed to be. It's open, it's free, we want people to use this. And it brings up the hard questions. How do we do X? Uh, so there's a lot of these things. Legacy was one of them. We, the, one of the working groups that I was privileged to work on was model contract language. What do you want as a hospital in your contracts for cybersecurity with manufacturers? Hospitals don't know this. The lawyers that work for them don't know this. So we set up 45 clauses that they can put in and rephrase in their legalese to say, these are the kind of expectations we have for you to support. Good stuff. That's the first time. I mean, that's simple. You look at it and go, yeah, that's simple. You're just normalizing the relationship. How is that? It's like nobody's done it ever. And that's always been a very dysfunctional relationship and how it goes. I mean, manufacturers think they throw it over the wall and health delivery organizations think that, that we don't love them. We don't. But there are customers. And we we should be concerned about their concerns, because if somebody gets hacked, it's on the hospital. The manufacturer goes, huh, tough luck to be you, right? Oh yeah, you know those thousand ventilators we sold you, they all went. Gee, do you have a maintenance contract with us? I mean, there's a lot of things where it shouldn't be that way. What does it look like? Is it a subscription service going forward? That I don't know, but that model has to change. That's for sure. And those are the kind of things we look at at the Health Sector Coordinating Council. So that's always fun and good. CISA um, in the Software Bill of Materials working groups, I have been since they were uh, with uh, Alan, the great Alan Friedman at NTIA. Uh, and we're hoping to try to advance this. I almost think we've been run over. Industry has gone way past us back from our nascent days of NTIA. Now there's so much being done by industry that it's almost like, hang on, stuff's being done. Uh, so how do we guide it and make certain it goes in the right direction? From the standpoint of Valentium, we're continuing to uh, onboard clients and create new products and, and doing a great job with that. And you know, making people happy with this and getting stuff out in the marketplace as quick as possible. From the cybersecurity standpoint, uh, the training, uh, I've got lots of hope for that. I really do. The book has done incredibly well. If I onboard a client and they hold up my book and there's a bunch of post-it notes in it, guaranteed great engagement 
guaranteed. I'm not going to have to give them bad news. They've already anticipated it. They'll tell me their bad news. And it's like, that's great. I want to take the next step and get everybody into it. And that can't mean brick and mortar training because nobody's going to go to, you know, back east and Boston or Minneapolis or someplace for six months to take a course if they're in Silicon Valley, for instance. It just isn't going to happen. So how do I hit the most number of people? That's why I've got this video-based, student-paced course with quizzes that's a certification. Part of the FDA requirements now are that you have to be trained. You have to, you have to talk about the qualifications of who did your pen testing and your generalized testing that you're working on. They just don't let anybody go, oh, well, this guy, he's never done anything. And here, oh, yeah, it's it's now secure, you know, new. So how are you going to get there? You need that training and you need to elevate them. So I'm totally stoked about that. It is something that the industry really needed. And I see this growing and changing and expanding a lot in the years to come as we go forward. It's going to be a lot of work just on our part just to keep it current and keep it going. Stuff changes all the time. Yeah. Well, no, that sounds that sounds awesome, and I'll and I, and I will make sure to include a link, uh, you know, to to you know direct people to you, uh, you know, when when we publish the podcast. So that'd be uh, great. Thanks. Yeah, uh, the master master class. Take a look at it. It's uh, basically a week long class. Though don't take it all at once. I tell people do one or two hours a day. Cogitate this. We also have live Q and A. So I set up weekly Zoom meetings where we go into for live Q&A. Most of the time it'll be me. If it's not me, it's one of my SMEs. Uh, also a Slack channel. Obviously none of this stuff should be secure, but if you need us, we can set up an NDA and do a one-on-one -on -one and talk about particulars of something you might have as well. So this gets you into answering your questions and solving your problems that you know exist in your organization. It's just the things you don't want to look at. You know that 20-year-old product you're still selling has a problem, <laughs> okay? How do yeah. we deal with it, okay? Uh, how do we avoid a recall on this? You know, how do we go through this and actually make certain nobody hacks this? Those are the kind of questions that, uh, that you don't want to air in public, but we're available to do those kind of things now. So, Okay. As we say, if someone comes to you and says, well, you know, I, I, we need to look at the security of this 20-year-old product and, 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 you know, management goes, well, what's wrong with it? You know, like, well, I haven't looked yet. I'm just telling you there definitely is. <laughs> you know, oh. like, I don't need, I don't need to, I don't need to go find the holes to tell you that the holes are there. Well, but you do, you you do, and you're not, you and I, we know this. Why? Because we're in this industry. We know that those things are there. But if you start dealing with the board, the board doesn't know this. Sea levels and above, they don't know this. Maybe they've seen, oh, there's ransomware or something, and they've read about it or heard it on the news. That's about the level of knowledge. And they don't know what to expect of their organization. How should their organization be reporting to them, telling them how they're spending their money? How should all of this be handled? So actually, one of the training classes I have is called Alert, and it's for the board. It is to train them. This is what you should be requiring of your organization. And, you know, this is how it should work. You shouldn't be behind them. So it trains them in the terminology as much as possible. I don't go into technical details because that'll just bore them. I don't do it for long periods. They're 10-minute little chapters that I go through so they can ingest it easily and not all at one time again. So that is a big part of this, is trying to elevate overall awareness that this is a huge risk and nobody understands risk like a board of directors, okay? They understand risk, they deal with risk all the time. So if I come through and go, look, after the disclosure of the breach here and you do this, 
what is it going to cost you to get that next loan? Right? Oh, yeah, you're no longer going to have a sweetheart deal of the rates because right. they're figure they figure you're now a risk. All right? So they're going to be looking at that for you. That's something they can understand. Right? Yeah. You're going to expose all this protected health information. Look at the fines associated with that. These are this is the money. Oh, okay. What do we need to do? And that's how you approach it. So all of that needs to be in play. If you're an engineer in a medical device company and you're passionate about cybersecurity and your board knows nothing and the middle management person knows nothing and tend to ignore it, find a new company. Get out. Because if you don't have high cover support for this activity, it'll never happen. No matter what you do at the, at the you know, bottom line here as an engineer, you can't shift your company into this. And to my perspective, they're in trouble. They're going to be in a lot of trouble. So find a company that's would love to have somebody who's interested in cybersecurity and go there. There's going to be a lot of shakeout in this industry for firms who have pointedly ignored cybersecurity over the last few years. Gotcha. All right. Well, I want to uh, thank you for taking the time and uh, enlightening me. <laughs> no problem, Tony. You ever got any questions or you want to bring on other people? I know everybody in the medical device cybersecurity. I really do. It's uh, uh, I'm well connected. So, I mean, you ever want to have panel discussions on stuff, feel free to, or just have questions for me, feel free yeah. to reach out and ping me. Awesome. Well, take care. Thank you. Cool. Nice talking with you. Bye-bye. Right. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast, but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, let me know if you love it, let me know if it sucks, and uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions you'd like to see answered in future posts.